Hello and welcome. This is Priestess Shoshana with Temple de la Luna. We are doing a, an amazing series of interviews with female business owners, entrepreneurs, artists, and dance instructors. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with a world-renowned dance artist, performing artist, um, dance instructor, and also someone who's been a leader in transforming the dance community. Johanna, welcome. Thank you. So glad to be here, Shoshana. <laughs> it's wonderful to have you here. Are you excited to be interviewed? I'm super excited. I enjoy every discussion we've had since we met. So this is going to be amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's it's very rare that you meet people that are um, artistic and free spirited, but also have worked really diligently to create programs and um, have become successful entrepreneurs, right? So we have that in common. And one of the things that I want to get into today is some of the new uh, designs and things that you're working on. So to begin, I was hoping you could share with us some of the accomplishments that you've made. And we're gonna spend a bit of time on this because there are so many things that you've done within the 15 years of your, of your business. Yes, thank you. Um, it's been more like almost <laughs> 22 years of that business. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yes, I, it is like you mentioned, having the right and left brain sort of equally balanced is, um, is I feel so blessed to have both that, that both have been trained and, you know, it's, I, start, I went off to college and I first got a college education and, you know, one wasn't enough. So I did two degrees, anthropology and art history at a pretty prestigious college, pretty, uh, the University of Chicago and a private school. And I was very fortunate to really have trained my intellect. Like, you know, I had to read so many books. It was, <laughs> and I love to read, so it wasn't a problem, but, you know, getting side and what i discovered was that by training that side there were other parts to being human that were that were not developed and i really wanted to be a whole person um mm. when i first my grandma took me to turkey to istanbul when i was in college and that was my first experience seeing belly dance and i had never seen belly dance before and here was a woman a juicy woman I mean, this is not the MTV stuff that was happening at the time, but this was a beautiful, you know, woman who was celebrating her curves and she was wearing, you know, a pretty skimpy looking outfit that, you know, I was like, is this even supposed to, like, am I supposed to be watching this? And mm -hmm. I look over at my grandma and my family's Ukrainian. I was raised Ukrainian. It was my first language. I grew up not feeling American at all. We had different cultures, different traditions. And so I look over at my grandma to get sort of cues off of, you know, what's happening here. Uh, this woman's, you know, moving around like I've never seen. And my grandma, you know, she's European. She's sitting there clapping at the belly dance show. This is what we do. And I was like, wow, that gave me permission to sit back and enjoy the show. And I was so inspired by how the <clears throat> Middle Eastern people would dance in the nightclubs. I mean, everybody was up dancing. I mean, it was like midnight and you've got grandmas in there and kids <laughs> dancing or kids passed out. Nobody seemed to care about bedtimes. You know, they, they were all enjoying themselves, men, women, children. Everybody's up there enjoying their bodies. So I was about halfway through college at this time, or maybe it was uh, three years in, 
And, and so this was like, this was that physical element that I needed. It sort of gave me permission to start exploring my physical creative side. And I've always been physical. I was on swim team and um, a little bit on the tennis club, but I'd always, you know, we've, we've kept physical and healthy, but the dance part of it had never really been explored other than, you know, family parties, everybody's sort of poking around, you know, um, but this was sort of, this was a new element for me. And it was amazing. I came back to college and I immediately found a Middle Eastern dance club now forming by some miracle, right? By divine design. Um, and so I joined that. And then I, within two years, I was dancing at all the Middle Eastern nightclubs and I felt at home in other cultures. You know, I was never, you know, it's like not being American, not being fully Ukrainian. And <laughs> so being involved in other diaspora communities felt really natural for me. And yeah, I didn't speak the language. And, um, but also, as I was reminded in Turkey, you know, Ukraine is just north of the Black Sea. So mm -hmm. I, you know, they would say, oh, of course you can belly dance. You're from Ukraine. And I'm like, how does that even make sense? But apparently <laughs> there's a long tradition of Eastern Europeans, Russians, Ukrainians going down into the Middle East and, and belly dancing. So I was like, okay, well, there I am. So um, yeah, so, so after college, you know, you can't make a living as a belly dancer, you know, you got to do something that's uh, more productive, <laughs> right? So I got a job in museum education, you know, because uh, nonprofits are also so, so prosperous. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But, I was, yeah, but my, so fortunate that my parents always encouraged me to do whatever inspired me. They wanted me to succeed. They wanted me to study hard. They want, I was involved in different clubs, foreign exchange club and all these other things. But they were really, you know, they never pushed me to be anything in particular. And for that, I feel so blessed because my heart aches for people. It aches when I see, you know, parents telling their children, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to study. Or that if the children show interest in something that the parents aren't interested in and the parents smack them away, no, focus on this instead. It's like, ugh, like we're here to follow and be our own individual selves. So, yeah, and when I when I hear what you're saying, which is just pulls forward really strong in this conversation, is is that for you, your dancing was very much of a what we would call like a sacred lineage, like it called home to a piece inside of you that seemed antiquitous and linked you to like a spiritual journey that you know was part of part of your soul. Absolutely, and the lineage part, you know, I, I've. Thanks for making that even more clear because it's really yeah. just been kind of coming together lately. Um, okay. At the time when I started dancing in the, the nightclubs in Chicago, the Persian, Assyrian, Syrian, um, Lebanese, uh, it was very fashionable in the belly dance world to take a different name so that your professional self was different from the self that was dancing in the nightclubs that, you know, out till late night, late hours, et cetera, to kind of keep those identities separate. So for my belly dance name, I chose my mother's middle name. And her middle name is Zenobia. And Zenobia was queen of Persia at the time of Alexander the Great. So how this Persian name ended up in my family lineage, right? Yeah. And here I am calling that in as my dance persona. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the time, I just thought it was great. I was like, oh, yeah, my mom's name, queen of Persia, da, da, da. But now looking back, it's like 
wow. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I, I know that, um, you know, people have been banging down my door to hear this interview and I can, I can understand why, because you have such a vast commitment, such a huge history. Um, you've, you've performed all over and you also have run um, a pretty successful dance studio. Can you tell us the name of your dance studio and what you provide? Sure, sure. So we're Hip Expressions Belly Dance Studio and we're here in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we've been here, I've been here since 2000. So after I, when I was in college and I was working at the museum, everybody there was so passionate about what they did. And I thought, you know, I need to follow my passion. And again, I thought I can't make a living off of belly dance, so I'll go into massage therapy. I was learning about Reiki, um, getting my, my attunements, uh, studying yoga, studying massage. And I thought, oh, I'll, you know, I can work part-time massage and belly dance on the side. So I moved here to Florida in 2000. I moved in with my aunt, my mother's older sister, and I started studying massage, but I never did massage full-time. I immediately started teaching. I immediately hooked up with Karen Sunray, who was a dancer already here. And I found, and I took all the dance classes, connected with all the dancers, and we found such a symbiotic relationship that we supported each other, we supported each other's missions. And we immediately started working together, performing, teaching. And then in 2004, we created Hip Expressions. And it's founded, I mean, our mission is all about accepting people for who they are, welcoming everybody, regardless of age, shape, size, color, data, skill level, all that stuff, yeah? So super body positive environment and then um, creating the community of that and then bringing inspiration. And at the time we were both teaching belly dance, but we knew we wanted to bring in other cultures as well. Karen's got a history with Polynesian. She's been dancing it with her mother and since she could walk. <laughs> so hip expressions has grown from just sort of the two of us brainstorming some dance classes to having a 3,600 square foot space teaching Polynesian, belly dance, Brazilian samba, flamenco. We have top performers in all these fields that are sharing their dance and their inspiration. We also offer yoga. We offer Nia, which is like dancing yoga. Um, so we do all sorts of different, we do a yoga belly dance fusion. So we have a, over a dozen instructors and performers, even more of those that go out and share their love and in a way that builds community and kind of meets everybody at their at. You know, we're here really to, to serve people who are curious about dance and help them explore, explore joy through movement in a body positive environment. Yeah, well, I mean, and you make it sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> and you make it sound like, <laughs> and, that, and that's what I, what I love about this is that, you know, there's a dream that you had and you made that dream come true and the dream was to create an environment that was inclusive that included different cultures that included the body positive and mm, what we what we don't talk about is what it's excluding which is the competition and the drive to um, compete and you know the pain that can come from being somebody who's starting belly dance and then all of a sudden is feeling like they have to perform above and beyond their skill set in order to kind of make it. Can you talk about that a little bit about how, what your dream was and kind of like how, what it took for you to make that a reality? 
because there's a story there, right? <laughs> How much time do we have? Because exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, that I was very committed to was collaboration. In Chicago, all the dance studios were very separate. You could, yeah. they were contracts you had to sign. You could not study with someone if you were studying with somebody else. Exclusive if you were performing for someone. I mean, it was very, I mean, I learned, I had a dancer take me under her wing performing because she was afraid other dancers would steal her gig. And she yep. knew I was not there to steal her gig, right? So the gig world, that's a whole separate conversation. But in terms of dance collaboration, we would we would invite people to to our shows in Chicago. And if they belonged to another studio, they wouldn't come. Yeah. So when I moved here to, to St. Pete, I was like, well, we are about inviting everybody, involving everyone. And we, we formed a Dancers Alliance. We, uh, you know, we really started to network in this area because I knew you know, people saboteurs, you know, our little negative mindsets pop up, right? Fear, it's fear or love. And as soon as we feel threatened, we move into fear. And when that happens, then we shut down, we don't collaborate. So I knew we had to actively fight this. We had to actively spread love. We can't just, you know, be love and go around because that's, that's, we really had to make it a culture. So yeah. we trained, we train all our staff. I mean, I've got, you know, a dozen support staff as well behind the scenes, helping make everything happen from website to designing to, I mean, writers. And we had to actively, I make sure they all understand our mission. They all are meeting everybody with friendliness and love. And of course, problems pop up. That's the nature of humanity. It's the nature of rubbing up against each other. But we're learning how to negotiate that in a way that really calls in that love. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that happened is in uh, 2005, my, I fell in love right away. I've met someone amazing and he was killed in a boating accident suddenly in 2005. And I immediately lost my faith in the world. And I ended up um, drinking a lot um, married, and married to an alcoholic. I really tried to be one. It didn't work out for me. <laughs> Apparently I don't have that gene, so that's nice. Uh, but I ended up married an alcoholic. And so I was in a really dark space for a long time. Um, but what happened is, so two years after that, I ended up with breast cancer. So here I was, 32, with diagnosed with breast cancer, no health insurance because I'm an artist. And Karen and the dance communities all over the U.S., New Orleans, Chicago, uh, California, New York, they all pulled together, D.C., they all pulled together and had fundraisers for me. Oh, wow. And I was in such a dark place. I was like, I, d- I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. You're, you know, my, my fiance is taken from me. I'm with an alcoholic. Like, this, I don't have love. Like, um, I felt super stuck and undeserving. And they all pulled together and had these, these benefits for me and fundraised to cover my medical costs. There's a medical doctor in Sarasota, Marguerite Barnett. And she's, uh, she did my mastectomy and my reconstruction free of charge. And she's a belly dancer herself. So I felt, you know, so it's like I fell into the right places and the people supported me. And I thought, this is community. I need to give back. And the very next year after I came out of my treatments, we opened our first studio. Oh. And I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sometimes what I've noticed is, is that just from my own experience, um, changing direction, you know, in my life is, is that there, there's like, sometimes there's like a dark night and they, everything gets taken from you in a way that, that is shocking. 
Um, but then it, it pushes you to, to create a rebirth, you know, to actually birth something. As women, mm -hmm. we run through the birth cycle all the time. We're constantly creating. And when something dies, like a, a person or a relationship or a dream or a child, we tend to go into an um, incubation stage and then come out with a new birthing of a new sp spirit. And in a way, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is, is that Karen was just absolutely key in providing you with that um, time frame that you needed to gestate this idea. And then you came out on the other side with, with your studio. Absolutely, because I couldn't run all the classes. I couldn't teach. I couldn't perform when I was going through my treatments. And, you know, everybody, Karen and, and the rest of the team really held it together for me during that. The interesting thing is uh, 10 years later, um, I went, they did, I think it was 10 years later. Oh, it was 10 years after I left Chicago. So it was three or four years after my treatment. I went back to Chicago because they had a fundraiser for me and I went back to perform at it. And they all, they all applauded my performance. They're like, wow, you know, you've really transformed as a dancer. You're so amazing now. Da, 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 da. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's been 10 years since I've been here. Like, why would I not have grown? But then I watched <laughs> them all dance. I watched them all dance and they hadn't grown. Okay. So it showed, so it showed me what happens when a closed community doesn't collaborate. Art doesn't grow. People don't grow. Nothing changes versus I was here for 10 years in a nurturing, loving community where things were growing and changing and developing. Um, and so I was, I mean, that really was a powerful moment for me where I was like, wow, this is what happens when people choose fear instead of love. And yeah, how absolutely. do I, and how do I, and, and that's not, and that's not atypical of dance communities, of dance studios, of teachers, that fear base is still around everywhere. So that, you know, I came back and was like, oh gosh, like we really need to, <laughs> we really need to, movement that, that's fighting this, but I never thought it would grow to the proportions it has today you know we just thought we were trying to hold down peace in our little part of the world you know <laughs> yeah it's remarkable and one of the things that I want to point to which is the focal point of these podcasts is the hidden sexism that's pervasive within whatever community that we're a part of um, and in the dance world like I say like sexism it's very easy to call out uh, male to female sexism female to male, but not so much the female to the female. And how the, the pervasive negativity can literally hold whole communities back from evolving and being creative. Yep, I've seen that in action, in action. And that's what you're describing about what happened in Chicago is, is that the women were holding each other back instead of supporting each other's empowerment. Exactly. And I haven't, I haven't been in that community for a long time. Yep. So I, I know there's other forces that have come into there. So I'm hoping it's changed. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's absolutely. always great people that come in and make a difference, right? Yep. And it, but I just knew it wasn't my job to make a difference in that community at that time. You know, I didn't, Chicago was not for me. It was too cold. Florida is nice and warm. I can wear flip flops. The beach is 10 minutes away. It's great. <laughs> yeah, Florida is amazing. I love Florida too. So um, coming out of that space with the, the loss of your, of your love and then 
the um, complications there within, you know, being with somebody who's toxic and an alcoholic, what, what did it take for you personally? What grit did it take for you to accomplish your dream of opening your studio after that? So what I found is that people affected by alcoholism, they tend to enable the alcoholic. And, and he was, he's, he's a great man. I love him to this day. Um, he's doing the best he can with the tools he has. He just has chosen a lifestyle that doesn't fit me, right? And, but what happens when you're in a, in a relationship with an alcoholic um, is that you start enabling them. So I was like taking on running his business, investing in him more than I was investing in myself. And so it got to the point where I was completely devastated. I didn't know what to do. I had nowhere to turn. I had secrets that I couldn't tell my friends because they, you know, they're going to judge me and give me advice and like, no one understands your situation. And that's when I actually found the rooms of Al-Anon. So there's AA, which is for people who drink too much, right? Alcoholics Anonymous. And then there's Al-Anon family groups, which is for people who are affected by that disease. Yeah. So I found my way into the rooms of Al-Anon and here I was with other women, mostly, and some men who were also in the same situation and I could share my secrets and they had secrets worse than I had, not to judge. Nobody, you know, there's no judging. <laughs> we all go through what we go through. But, I, you know, these secrets, they say you're only as sick as your secrets. So I could find, I found a community that understood what I went through, didn't judge me for it, didn't give me advice and gave me a spiritual connection that's when I really came back. Um, it really fully manifested my connection with spirit. At the same time, oddly enough, by no coincidence, I started a yoga teacher training program that really emphasized the spiritual content of yoga. You know, yoga is the eight limbs of yoga. People may have heard of those. Well, only seven, only one of those limbs is about the asana, which is the postures. The seven other limbs are about how you act in the world, your breath and meditation and connection with higher power, connection with the divine. So I was going through yoga teacher training, exposed to this Al-Anon, which really is, it's not a religious group, but it is a spiritual group. And it emphasizes, you know, turning over your will and your life to whatever you define as your higher power, all higher powers are accepted. And that really made a huge difference for me. That's when I finally had the courage and the path to, to leave, my, leave my alcoholic relationship, um, connecting with my yoga, uh, yoga lineage as well, and moving deeper into, you know, and at the same time, my spiritual connection, deepening the spiritual connection also led me to take re real res physical responsibility for the community I had built. You know, at that time, I had massive debts from my cancer treatment still. I was, did a bankruptcy to try to get rid of those. I had massive debts in my business. My business was failing. I left the house with nothing but a car, a bunch of costumes, and a failing business. And I totally I said, get okay. it. <laughs> yes, we've talked. We, you understand. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what do I need to do to turn this around? And the first thing was to deepen my connection with spirit develop a personal practice, and then gain the leadership training I needed to really focus on, okay, let's look at the nuts and bolts of this. Now that my emotions were no longer, and, and finances were no longer tangled up in something that was none of my business, that was not my path, it freed up that channel. You know, all that 
it's like there's something that blocks us. You know, all our, our saboteurs block us from our higher, our, the energy of our divine, of our higher power acting in our life. And once we can clear some of those blocks away, the energy just flows. And I would so, agree with that. And, and yeah. I was going to, you know, the next question was, I was going to ask you, how did you have to deal with the finances, which you just basically just flowed right into that um, <laughs> about where you were, you know, and the thing is about alcoholism, how it is, a it is a family disease and it's a, it's a community disease. It's not a disease that an individual has, and it does impact the entire community around that individual. And, um, I, I was just talking with someone today about my personal experience. So my brother was, I was raised by my, my brother and he was an alcoholic and, um, nobody called him out on it ever he was always enabled by other people and when I called him out on it and demanded that he get help and I had to put myself through through therapy and my spiritual work to heal myself from hit the damage that had been done to my psyche and um, everybody was angry at me because everybody wanted to keep it hidden mm -hmm. And you did this beautiful thing, which is that you reached out and you got the resources you needed to become whole again. And it's a lifelong process because, you know, being human is not about being perfect. No. <laughs> being human is about making mistakes and being and being given challenges and being thrown off balance and then finding your way back. To, you know, back to correcting your path. So it's a, you know, there, there are no mistakes, right? There's only learning opportunities. <laughs> and one of the things that people um, could learn from this, it, which is just so important is, is that oftentimes people stay in those abusive relationships or those relationships where somebody has an addiction um, because you know, if you're going to leave, that person's going to fall. You're the only thing holding them up. And so leaving feels like you're abandoning them. And that's a big choice to make, to value the, yourself. <laughs> that's that spiritual choice. Like I can't devalue myself any longer and stay inside of this, this relationship because it's destroying my light. But what keeps women there or men is that is knowing that if, if you, if you leave that relationship, that person is going to take a, a dive. Well, and that's, that's the story that we tell, you know, there's, um, there's, um, there's an amazing program um, called P PQ intelligence, and they talk about the different saboteurs. And one of the saboteurs is the people pleaser. There's also the controller. And so these all kind of tie into um, to traits that Alan, that people who've been affected by alcoholism tend to have, like, we want to like cover over and make sure it's okay. Or we want to act like the victim because then we don't have to take responsibility for what's going on or, you know, or we try to control it and manage it, but it's none of our business to manage and control either. Right. Our business is to manage and control our own lives. And sometimes our enable often <laughs> our enabling and trying to control and our people pleasing is what's enabling them to keep with a destructive behavior. And when we pull that away, they mm -hmm. actually have to step up and take responsibility if they, or they fall and hit their bottom. Exactly. And some, 
some people's bottom is, you know, as simple as a DUI or, go, you know, going to jail. Um, but some people's bottom may be worse than that. And that's not ours to judge. You know, that's their path. So it's very much about, you know, putting your own oxygen mask on first. I cannot Absolutely. pour from an empty cup. And so there you were, like with your car and your and your your dance outfits, and you know <laughs> you drove. Where did you drive to? So it's amazing once we let go, how much spirit opens up the path. Yeah, you know, my um, my husband and I, we sort of mutually or almost broke up up over a conversation. You know, hey, you know our lifestyles don't fit. This is something that maybe and we woke up the next morning and kind of looked at each other like did we just break up like what's supposed to happen like who stays in the house and where do the dogs go and da, da, da. and just magically it's like magically a friend of mine and actually it's a funny story um before labor day weekend um he called me and he said you know what maybe you should go stay at someone else's house this weekend and i thought he was just kick i thought he was kicking me out and i was like you want me out okay i'll be gone not this weekend but i'll be gone tonight like, I was like, you want me out? I'm gone. It wasn't until years later, I realized, I think he just wanted me out for the weekend because he wanted to party. <laughs> <laughs> but I took it as, you want me out? I'm done. You know, I didn't do, a lot of people do like a back and forth. They leave and they go back. Nope. I was like, okay, this is my out. And I called up my friend and she immediately said, hey, you know, I'm spending more time at my boyfriend's house. So you can have my bed in my apartment. And so that night I went to her house and I got there super, super late. I went to my aunt's house and got some, you know, took, had some personal time with her. She's always been such a consolation to me. She's the reason I moved here, you know, and she's a very spiritual person. And when I got to my friend's house that night, you know, they showed me where the key was. They told me where the key was. And I came in and there was a little Moroccan lamp lit up by this bed it was a beautiful Moroccan. I mean, her, her, she has exquisite taste. This is Kimberly. Her, her apartment was beautiful. This Moroccan light was on right by the bed. And I was like, I'm welcome here. I'm yeah. home. And that, that brings me to my next question for you, which is, can you share with us like an unexpected random occurrence that changed the direction of where you thought you were going. And this would be something that opened something up for you positive, but completely unexpected. Absolutely. It's, um, there's sort of, there's two things that immediately come. I'm sure there's many, but there's two things that come immediately to mind. And one is that we'd had our first studio for three years or for two years. And Karen and I were co-owners at that time. And then she had to step down because she was homeschooling her daughter and she was helping her husband with his business. And so she stepped down and I took the, the reins as sole owner of Hip Expressions. But as our lease was up in that space, and she's still very involved. She teaches, she runs half our dance troops, she runs all of our shows. Um, so she's still very involved as, as part of Hip Expressions and always will be. Um, I couldn't have done it without her. We couldn't have done it without each other. But we were sitting there and our lease was up on our current space and we knew we needed to expand and we had found a new space and it was three times this more than four times the size and it was and but they wanted and, you know and i've always, I'd always built hip expression sort of from the ground up so uh, you know we didn't we never i never got a business loan and took a big investment and you know all that we just let it grow organically 
So we're sitting there at our old space and going, okay, the new space, we need a $3,000 deposit. We don't have $3,000. And we're sitting there and, and we're like talking about it. We're going through the mail. We literally opened up a check and it was for $3,000. What? <laughs> and I don't even remember where the check was. I don't know if it was our deposit from the fur. I don't, you know, maybe, I, who knows? I don't remember where this check came from, but we're literally talking about how we need three grand and we don't have it. And we opened up the check and there it is. And it was like, okay, we're meant to move into this new space. Like, okay, you know, divine is making it happen again. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I love that because like one of the things that I, that I pride myself on is, is that I've never received a business loan for any of the yeah. work that I've done. <laughs> and I've managed to create these workshops and events and large community events. And I've ran my own spaces and I have a temple and none of it was, was, um, easy coming right but it was all slow mm -hmm. consistent mm -hmm. connections with people being real being connected you know and taking my time and doing the work that it would take to just I remember when I opened up my first dance studio saving five dollars per dance class so that I could pay mm -hmm. rent the next mm -hmm. month <laughs> yeah it's it's no joke I mean I like yeah uh. um I was fortunate that one of the things that I was able to do was I knew I needed not just business coaching, but leadership coaching yeah. because I needed to figure out how to be a leader. And that, you know, that's not something I was ever taught. Right. And I found an, I've been sort of looking for one and then I found an amazing coach, um, Liesl and she, you know, and her coaching programs are thousands of dollars and well, and well worth it. Right. And so I knew I needed to invest, but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to afford this. Right. And she says to me, she's like, well, you still have your massage license. And I said, yes. She goes, well, I need massages. <laughs> and I was like, I still have my license. I was sort of practicing part-time. I kept all the licensing up and everything. And so I was able to trade massage services for my first um, personal coaching and then leadership coaching. And that absolutely changed my life. Absolutely. I mean, that was when I was introduced to emotional intelligence. That was, I was introduced to just communication skills and led in the direction of the, the right books to kind of put into play. And she herself is a yoga practitioner. And so I knew it wasn't just like, you know, the good old boys business group that's down, you know, that's going to tell me how to run my belly dance business. Like I wasn't about to go to them to talk about how to run my business and how to be a leader, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you wanted to learn about conflict resolution, communication, empowerment, how to hold a group, how to make people feel comfortable, how to guide somebody through a, a breakdown, which does happen in dance classes often, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, because it's it's a lot of pressure for people, you know, and, and it's a lot of release. And we have to train ourselves to become healers advocates and we need to be aware of all the different people that we're we're dealing with so that we can manage things appropriately and one of the things that i am very uh want to point out is the amount of training and background that you have as a health instructor as a as a coach business leader yourself and then also one thing that we really want to point out is is that you've also created many many training programs and manuals Yes. Um, I knew that, you know, to run a business, I wanted to do it very intentionally. And, 
you know, our mission was to to spread that community, that acceptance, that welcoming, that inspiration, and to you know all the stuff that we all all the fear and you know that we talked about before that happens in dance communities. I wanted to actively fight that, and so I knew I had to personally train every employee, every teacher. I needed to hire the right people or be or be able to train them to be able to fit our our dance culture. And I've had to let people go. That one of the maxims that stayed with me is. Um, slow to hire and quick to fire. So really taking my time, you mentioned that as well, of selecting the right people in the right places. And then if there's, and then when there's something that comes up that makes someone uncomfortable, addressing it right away. I mean, another one of our saboteurs is the avoider. We don't want, we want to avoid conflict. We don't want to talk about it. Um, I was just talking to one of my teachers yesterday about a, a group that she's running and She's having, she's letting the group and their saboteurs and their fears kind of like start triggering each other. And it's like, you got to nip that stuff in the bud. So how do I train people? First of all, how do I get the training to handle that? And then how do I create a training program that helps people manage that in the classroom? So I've created a ton of different manuals and I've got this leadership coaching program where what I've been doing this whole time is helping my dance teachers gain next level leadership skills to attract and build a healthy dance community. Right? And what so have we, can... what, yeah, yeah. So the, the, tell us about the coach training program. So the coach training program is a nine month program and it has um, a workshop every month. Um, some of those will be, will need to be in person because it dance. <laughs> I learned very quickly when we had to, um, in the pandemic, we had to go to virtual classes for a short time. And we still do hybrid classes because it's uh, it's a great tool. But I could stare at nine people on a screen and I really have to scrutinize them to kind of see what they're doing and how they might be hurting themselves with dance posture, especially in belly dance. It's very easy to let the imbalances in our body take over. And then we're doing things that may potentially cause some joint restriction. So I'm looking at these people very carefully to try to figure that out. And then the first time we were back in a classroom, I could just scan the room and in a, I mean, in less than a second, I can tell you what nine different people are, you know, I can scan their bodies and give nine corrections within that second where, you know, I would have to sit there for several minutes on Zoom and try to kind of scrutinize and, okay, can you turn a different way and do that? And you know, <laughs> so there's something about the in-person that is really vital. Um, so we'll have some, or it can be a, a hybrid. And then we'll be doing weekly weekly trainings as well, discussions, Q&A. And I've got six different modules in terms of teacher training that comes everything from uh, positive intelligence, emotional intelligence, personal practice, anatomy, physiology, how to create conscious classroom strategies. That's a whole discussion. Is everybody lined up facing the mirror? Because if you've been to any sort of a Zumba or aerobics class lately, I try to mostly avoid them, but everybody's facing the mirror and you've got this super fit instructor who's busting her ass in front of everyone to like kill it and, and inspire people. And she, her body after class, let me tell you, is hurting, right? And she has to do this several times a week, but she's trying to be an example for us. And she's usually thin. It's usually a she, uh, sometimes it's a guy, but they're usually thin and fit and have, and so immediately we're all sitting staring at ourselves in the mirror and mirrors are generally for judging. 
oh, you know, how do I look in this dress? How does my hair look? Da, da, da. So we're all staring at ourselves in a mirror, trying to accomplish moves that we don't know how to do, following someone who knows how to do it, comparing ourselves to that person. Like immediately, that is setting up a classroom for disaster. Well, and I can that hear the passion right there in, in <laughs> what you're talking oh, it about. Me off. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love, you know, I love it when people have passion. And that's one of the one of the um, personal accomplishments that I've had in running a spiritual based dance practice, and then also mm -hmm. being a minister, is, is that there's this collective consciousness that, that we can't be angry, uh, if we're women, and we're spiritual. And mm. what I've really learned is, is that that anger is not anger. Anger is passion. It is fuel. It's fire. It busts through stuff. And mm -hmm. you got it. You got a passion there. You do not want, want women to come into another avenue where they are critiquing themselves, where they are being critiqued by the leader, where they are being critiqued by their personal saboteurs. And you have this program this nine month strategic program that is a program that's leading women through personal transformation. Um, definitely I hear that your, you know, your focal point is to open their heart and then to give them a sense of, of integrity in their body and also dance training. It's remarkable. And it's not something that a lot of people are doing. You've really taken 20 years of your of your of your history and your life and you've accomplished this this gem this beautiful ruby of a program and i and i i hear your passion for it thank thank you for that and thank you for mentioning that about anger because yeah you're right we're like oh don't be angry no anger is a sign often i think always a sign that something has to change now we can we can we don't need to change the other person right? Our job is only to change ourselves. So there's something about ourselves that needs to change. And I learned that about, you know, from being with an alcoholic, I'm angry at him because of what he's doing. But my job is not to change him. I actually that anger needs to be that impetus for change in myself and my own life. Absolutely. So that when when any of my students come to me, and they are experiencing jealousy. Mm -hmm. um, I always say to them, like, okay, so let's look at it. Let's look at what you're jealous about. And let's look like what's 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 missing in you mm -hmm. about that. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like if you envy something that somebody else is being or that they're accomplishing or they're doing, it's simply just pointing to that there's something that you want to be doing for yourself. You need development in. And so let's let's illuminate that. Pull it out of the dark is what your words were. Mm -hmm. And things only loom in the dark when they remain hidden. The minute mm -hmm. you bring it into the light, you can actually work to bring it into the light and give it some breath and some fire. Yes. And just like science shows us, just by observing something, it changes. Absolutely. Just that power of giving attention to it. Exactly. But yeah, I'm definitely passionate about this because the woman teaching that class facing the mirror, she, she's, you know, or the, or the man, they're they're just trying to have a good time and do what they think is best, right? They, but by bringing this sort of consciousness to dance teachers, there's so many other classroom strategies that can, you know, like standing in a circle. Wow, imagine that, moving across the floor. There's so many other ways to create a conscious classroom 
instead of just creating an unconscious classroom. And I find that so many dancers, skilled dancers, they want to share their inspiration. I mean, that's their that's their main thing. That they love to dance. They're good at it. They're enjoying it, and they want to share that with others. But they don't have the teaching skills. And so absolutely giving them this leadership practices, the the breakdown, that awareness, I mean, all this stuff and help about while maintaining their unique style and voice. So my in my program, it's actually general enough to cover any dance. It can be flamenco, belly dance, Polynesian, you name it. These are all skills that any dance, and I say dance, not just movement. I mean, you, it could be applied, but there's something specific about moving with music <laughs> that makes it dance. That, in, that pulls in that creativity. You know, I think about yoga classes where people are all, you're just telling them what to do the whole time. Right foot here, left foot here. And I love yoga, trust me. I, I do it every day. There's a place for that. But there's a certain element of creativity and femininity, you know, calling in that yin energy of responding to the music and going with the flow and being able to let go. That, that, that's an element that dance can have. And again, aerobics doesn't have it. They tell you exactly what to do and when to do it. But calling in that right and left brain in every classroom and supporting that mix because our, our society is so mind focused. And then there's people who go the completely the other way and they're very spirit focused. And there's people that go all the other way and are completely physical focused. But how do we integrate that all so that we are truly mind, body, spirit? With that triad, something opens up that allows a, a, a woman to experience a an enlightenment or a sacred moment, a time frame in the dance world, especially in the dance world, they call it being in the zone. You know, when you're mm. just kind of exit your ego totally steps back and you're, you're in the flow and something's flowing yeah. through you. And it's this experience that dancers desire. And it sounds like your program, you have simple, easy shifts to teach people that will make a difference for how they teach. But it also sounds like you're also opening uh, opening up an opportunity for that triad to take place for more of a of a sacred experience while, while people are learning and moving. Would you agree? Absolutely. I've always I've always said from the beginning, you know, we lure them in with the jingly hip scarves and then we teach them about enlightenment. <laughs> I love that statement. Um, <laughs> In creating this program and, and having it be complete for you to start to roll it out to people and to draw people in, I'm sure there's people interested already everywhere. Can you share with us or identify with us some of the um, setbacks that you've personally experienced in deciding to make money on the program? So the biggest challenge in our field is that we are all underpaid <laughs> as dancers. You know, um, I think about what athletes make, sports athletes make and what they do to their bodies. And then you look at what dancers make and what they do to their bodies. And there is a giant, 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 vaginormous difference in how that comes across in the world. So. And, and that's a, it's a, it's a dichotomy in the arts in general as well. And that the arts are not valued, dance is not valued. Um, dance is even more amorphous because you can't hang it on your wall. So while a painter may struggle with how much to sell their work for, 
they have work to sell and then it can hang on someone's wall and that person might come back and buy some more. But dance is an experience. And as a culture, we don't value experiences. Unless it's a, it's in a sports arena. <laughs> I, I totally agree. So, so, you know, essentially it's going to be about you deciding to have the people who come into your program to also be inspired to make money on their art and to make that shift. And it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that there's, there, there's simple shifts that people can make in the classroom and they are, they're super simple, simple, but they are so not ingrained that um, I've run the teacher training. I sort of did like a little foundations preview of the teacher training program right before the pandemic. And what I found is that people, it's just not the norm. It's so completely outside the norm that we sort of go back to what's familiar and the sort of familiar patterns and really breaking out of those takes time and practice. So that's why it's a nine month program. So we can really change people's thinking, but the power that this program has to change the world, like this is where I'm going to get passionate again, because if we have people out there, you know, I don't want, I love hip expressions and I love having it here in St. Pete and I don't need to own hip expressions all over the world. Like, trust me, someone else can run, run them elsewhere or run whatever they want elsewhere. But I really believe in our mission. And if that, if our mission of this radical self-acceptance, you know, body positivity, inspiration and accessibility for everybody, right? It's not just for the people who've called me and said, oh, I thought your class would be a bunch of little Shakiras running around. I'm like, no, oh we're average. We're, I know, right? We're average people and we're men and women. We're all sizes. Like it's, it's everybody that can gain these benefits. So if we could get those people, I mean, so many people don't want to go to the gym and I, I don't want to go to the gym either, really. <laughs> and, but these people are curious about dance. They're curious about how to move their bodies and how do you move that in a safe, acceptable way? If we can get teachers trained up to start spreading this, the change in the world, I think would be astronomical. Oh, I agree. I mean, and it, it's a, it's a, it's a flow. It's going to be a flow. I completely see this. Um, and I've, uh, and I've already seen it in hip expressions. You know, it started, it was me and Karen deciding we have similar values. And then like now half our teachers, I'd say about half our teachers are ones that kind of had come up with us and then we trained and then half of them have moved here from other places and have similar. So there's people that have this vibe that have this desire that want these same qualities and it's just it's just a matter of giving that more momentum and the momentum that we've already had here with hip expressions in this area i mean hip expressions has transformed tampa bay i mean you talk to anybody you know we started a drum circle 20 years ago that's still going we've we've created differences in people's lives people constantly tell me you don't realize how much a difference you took in, you know you made in my life even though they might not are might, might not still be dancing yeah. The fact that we gave them that opportunity and changed the way they physically, you know, mind, body, spirit, like this is about neuro pathways in our brain and through our body and physically changing those for people. And then, you know, letting them go out and grow, keep growing in other places. It's really powerful. I agree. And there's a pervasive female psychology. And when I, when I say psychology, what I mean is what's in the space between people. Um, so my words I'm choosing specifically here, which is pervasive, meaning that it's not in one individual, it's not within the nervous system, it's in the 
space in between people. And it, it mm. gets set upon us when we commune, when we come into groups. It's something that ends up being in the space. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what I would love is if we could identify what you see as that hidden, it's hidden because it's, you can't see it in you and it's hard to notice where it's coming from because it's all around. And it's a hidden shadow of sexism that gets perpetrated on women, from women. And it's hard to identify because you can't really point at it. It's, it's very mutable. So could you tell me like, what, what do you think is that hidden sexism that you're, sh you're shifting with this program? So as you're talking, what strikes me is that the way it comes out is in communication and it's nonverbal as well as verbal. And it comes out in very simple, you know, well-meaning ways. You know, someone walks into class and maybe they look a little thinner they did than they did last week. And you say, hey, you look great. Did you lose some weight? That right there, I mean, if you know someone's trying to lose weight, you know, that, that, that can be a very positive thing. But maybe, you know, I, I just said that to someone the other week who I know was also trying to lose weight. So I figured it was a safe thing to say, right? But it turns out she goes, well, not on purpose. You know, so my, my, and then there's like a death in the family. And I'm just like, God, I feel like an asshole right now, you know? Like, exactly. And that was someone who even I knew was wanting to lose weight and was losing weight before. And so I thought it was being supportive, but like. So this idea that thin is good yes, comes well, we, out in we, the sneakiest we, ways. It, it comes out in the sneakiest ways, right? And, and that's what I feel like this, what I'm reaching for here in this interview is like the, the people that you work with, you're empowering them. And every female has a way of putting themselves below others as a way to fit into the community. Mm, yeah, the people pleaser. Mm -hmm. It could manifest as people pleaser, but it could also manifest as silent or it could manifest mm -hmm. as dominating. Yeah. There's like, yeah. I, and I love what you're saying about the body language because that's so, you know, true. Like when we talk with people, how important it is to have an open stance and to be, have eye contact. And um, there's all these hidden things. And there's something that you're going to work on here that's inside of the passion that you have to liberate people. So what do you think that hidden shadow of sexism is? Where do you put yourself below without even noticing that? Hmm. I think for me personally, it comes across as wanting people to like me, right? So it doesn't, instead of approaching everyone as like, how can I love and support you today? Like, how can I offer you more love and support, which is a wonderful, loving, sage perspective, right? It comes across as, what do I think you need? And how can I fit that mold so, so that you like me? I love that. And I feel like it's such a subtle little difference. But again, just bringing that into consciousness, you know, part of my program, um, the first six weeks, <laughs> people actually get an app on their phone. And there's, there's reminders several times a day 
there's like a lesson each day and like little reminders of like, hey, notice how this is going in your day. Hey, notice how this is going in your day. So, you know, having that like, because it needs to be, it needs to be that repetitive. Like, I love it when people set intentions for the day, but I don't know if I set an intention for the day, I never think about it again. But if there's an app on my phone that reminds me every three hours. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. But is it so you have a whole thing you're doing? You have a whole thing that you're creating for people. It's amazing around empowerment. Yeah. Yep. It's in collaboration with um with P- with PQ, which is positive intelligence and emotional intelligence. So we've got to do that work on ourselves and discover what our saboteurs are. How do we shift into that sage perspective so that we really can embody leadership practices, make corrections in people's bodies? You can't just walk to someone up to someone in class and be like hey, you know, you put your feet closer together or, hey, you know, don't stick your butt out so much. Like, those are not positive things. <laughs> can, but by can, saying, you, can you see how other people have, and, and this is a question that, you know, like, just for yourself, can you see possibly, like, you may not see it when I ask the question, but I want you to try to think about it, how other people in the dance community have tried to silently um get you to also have other people be either below you or put people below others so how have other people in the dance community tried to create that that ladder of who's on top and who's on having bottom. to have you become yes. the perpetrator where they want you to become yes. the perpetrator. They want you to be the person that has the same stature regulations, charges certain amount of money, depending on like the community based consciousness rather than really be your, your own woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I see it a lot in interactions. Um, a lot of people seeing me as the leader of this community um, they, they want to bring, you know, every little, oh, hey, I saw, and so, I saw so-and-so do this, you know, can you handle it? And I'm like, I wasn't, I wasn't there. It's not, you know, if you have a problem with someone, you need to get with them. Like, I'm, this is not an authoritarian position where I can come down and start waggling fingers and telling people what to do and where to be. One of my favorite moments this year was one of my, one of my instructors, uh, a male instructor, actually, he called me. And he said, we were in a conversation and he goes, Johanna, you know what I realized? You're not my boss. <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. And I was like, yes, you're absolutely right. I am not your boss. Yes, I have the pleasure of being the leader and the faci- facilitator. And I have a certain role in hip expressions and in this community, but it's no less important than any teacher's role no less important than any student's role, no less important than my writer's role or my designer's role or my assistant's role. Like we are all, we're all equals here. So that was one of my favorite moments. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and it's, it's that, it's that hidden um, natural sort of pervasive uh, desire that people have to put themselves underneath someone. And mm. then it becomes like a, then you can become the tyrant because if you're the leader, you're also the one who's making the choices and then you're the one who can be blamed. But if you run a community, if you run a community where everybody has has to be responsible for themselves and there's their stature levels that we respect, 
There are leaders, there are people who have been there longer. There are stature levels that are respected, but they're really truly respected because you're creating a community of people that are self-responsible. You can't go around having drama. You have to be able to use the tools, which is what you're creating in your community. And I love that. There's one of my favorite readings in the Al-Anon literature. Um, it talks about how, you know, we, we often go through life thinking that there's a ladder and that where, we, where are we on the ladder? Are we above someone? Are we below someone? And of course, like, you know, God's at the top or whatever, right? And so we're on this ladder and we're sort of jostling position, right? And it says in Al-Anon, and this is a, the perspective I take in Hip Expressions too, we realize that we all come down off the ladder and we make a circle and God's in the middle, spirit's in the middle, whatever you want to call it. And that when someone else joins the circle, we just widen the circle. That always makes me tear up. <laughs> I love that image. It's incredibly touching. And, and what I love about your story is, is that you've worked through all sorts of personal issues that you, you know, you've then used it to empower um, your, your clients. Um, the people that you collaborate with and the people that you work with, you've always kept a very strong heart, very strong, positive perspective, taking personal responsibility for yourself. You've, you know, you have two degrees, um, you know, your history, you know, the body inside and out. You've um, been through many developmental programs for leadership skills and coaching You've danced for 20 years. You have um, a successful studio with a mission for 15 years. You've made breakthroughs and helped heal people's lives in many, many ways. And there is a sacrifice that you've made to create all of that. And what I wanna ask you to conclude with this interview, and of course I would also like to give you a opportunity to shout all of your links and you know, so people can find you. Um, is when you unveil this program, this coaching program, it's value. It has value. The value is immense. And my question for you is, can you commit to charging more money than you originally were going to for this program? Absolutely. And would you be willing to start to call other people out on where they undervalue themselves? Absolutely. And I know you can do it in a way that is totally inspir inspirational, <laughs> right? That's but, always you know, the challenge, right? <laughs> absolutely. And that, but the empowerment of just being somebody who has such a huge um, reach to really stand for women's art and women's spirituality and to really stand for that it has value is the opportunity that we can take on transforming together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for everything that you've done and just even creating these, these interviews and all of your work that you've done. You know, we're all, I love connecting with other light workers. We're all here just trying to keep spreading that love and light in the world, man, you know? <laughs> it, it is like that. And in order to do, and thank you, thank you very much. In order for me to do my work, we have to have a very strong warrior energy. So that Absolutely. that makes us a little bit sometimes, you know, people don't understand that. But, you know, once you get to know me and you, you get to understand that that's the highest act of compassion and the biggest service that I can give 
is to be willing to take the hit, um, to be challenged by people who want things to look a certain way and to have a strength behind it. Because part of our spirituality is to embody our strength. We are, women are strong. Our art of dance, it dates, it dates back to peoples who, who needed to have a female martial art in the times that the men were away and birthing practices. And there's nothing light and beautiful about childbirth. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. is strength that is required to make it through that darkness. And many women get left to feel like something's wrong with them and they don't know why the birth wasn't easy and that the, they don't understand the darkness that comes after. We call it postpartum depression. But it's not. It's going through the eye of the needle. Your whole life has just transformed. And yeah. so part of what I want is to be an advocate for that our, our dance form is a warrior form. It is a, mm. it's, it is a martial arts for women. And it has been as, you know, we have all of our dance moves are abstracted from some sort of uh, warrior position. That's why it's so important that we learn them correctly. And they are also abstracted from birthing positions. And we do our mm -hmm. undulations, we do our hip movements. We are expressing pieces of nature that help us, not only with childbirth, but birthing new projects, creating ideas and having love, in like fierce love in our communities. And I feel like you're my sister in that mission. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, all the different, we dance with all the different chakras and those are the power centers. Yep. And that's something that's rarely addressed in belly dance. You know, it's all yep. about the sparkles and the jingles and the music and the fun and the, which, which is great. But these are powerful centers of our bodies that we're moving and, and opening up. I'm actually speaking um, in a grief group center tonight. I'm doing a sort of a lecture presentation and there'll be some embodiment exercises, but I mean, they're not dancers. But talking about how, yes, just moving subtle movements in these parts of our bodies with that awareness are super powerful. And that's connected directly to our emotions, to our strength, to our grief. I mean, gosh, that's a whole nother conversation. It's a whole um, other thing. It's a whole, that's a whole nother thing. So I'm really excited to, to talk about that stuff and to bring that stuff to light, right? Where we don't talk about it as a culture. We don't we don't talk about that hidden sexism. We don't talk about the grief. We don't talk about how much we, how much women just really suck up and take it. I was thinking the other day yep. about how, about how like, you know, don't, hopefully I don't offend anyone by saying this, but like fatherhood is easy. It can be easy because it's they easy. can choose. They can choose how much they want to be involved. They have that choice. Women do not have that choice. Nope. Like you're in it, we are committed. And that is something that is downplayed so much by our society. And, and yes, my dad was a fantastic father. I'm so blessed to have had a, a wonderful dad, very involved, but come on. <laughs> like the physical change that happens in your body, birthing, the birthing and the connection and da, da, da. It's, there's no comparison and nobody talks about that either. And, and, and that, that transformation is a transformation of the lifetime. And yeah. um, I, I'm just ecstatic about all the people that you're helping. And I, I'm so 
uh, grateful to have been with you today. It feels like we could do like five more interviews, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we'll just have to get together and talk. Yes, um, we will. So can you, can you give our listeners, this is going to go out everywhere. Um, to our listeners, please share this. This is an important conversation that we're, you know, an egg we're cracking open. Um, can you share with us where people can find you for life coaching, business coaching, movement therapy, healing, yoga, your dance studio, and then of course the training program. Absolutely. Absolutely. So our, our business here in St. Petersburg is hip expressions, belly dance studio, and that's hipexpressions.com. And I'm on all the social media things. Um, it's Johanna, J-O-H-A-N-N-A. And I've kept the name Zenobia. Z-E-N-O-B-I-A. So I'm Johanna Zenobia. And you can find me on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm not on TikTok yet. Ugh, I can't do all the things, you know. <laughs> yeah. But myself, Johanna Zenobia and Hip Expressions um, are on Instagram and Facebook for sure. And then hipexpressions.com. And my email is Johanna, J-O-H-A-N-N-A, H-I-P-E-X. So Johanna HipX at gmail.com. If anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm putting together um, the list and the questionnaire and application for the program for this, hopefully starting this fall. Okay, wonderful. And so for people who do want to train with you in this program, all the amazing dancers that are going to hear this and be inspired, they would just email you directly for that? I would say that's the best way is email me directly. And the other thing I want to emphasize is that you don't have to be an amazing performer. This is not about, teaching is performing. We can talk about that. That's a whole thing. But um, <laughs> you don't have to be an amazing dancer. You don't have to be top-notch dancer in order to create and lead groups of women that are going, that's going to inspire them and to create a vibe. So, well, you know, and I love that you say that because think about how amazing it would be to come into your, on the onset of your dance career, on the onset to get training like this. Absolutely. All you need, all you need is be a dedicated, dedicated. That's it. Cause it does take practice. I mean, anything worth doing, right. Takes our time and our energy. So anyone who's dedicated, you know, I'll help them gain the teaching skills to effectively share their inspiration with others. And this program is also going to be really great for people who are, who are seasoned professional already have studios. Like this is also a professional based program as well. Absolutely. It's all about next level leadership skills. A lot, I think I feel a lot of us who become good dancers or, or natural good dancers, however it works, end up performing, end up teaching, end up running studios without all those skills. I can't tell you how many studios during the pandemic, you know, how many dancers had to quit their studios and we kept our studio. And, Absolutely. and it was, you know, we kept those classes going, we kept everything going because I had that, those business and leadership skills and that mindset and that training where, you know, you can kind of muddle along without it, but this is about next level leadership skills. So even if you're an already an amazing dancer, amazing dance teacher, have a community, you know, this is going to transform your community. And that's what it's all about. So great. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This is Priestess Shoshana. Thank you to our listeners. This is Priestess Shoshana with Temple de la Luna. And you can find us at templedelaluna.com. We are a women's empowerment organization that offers spiritual courses, readings, healing sessions, 
and training in physical and emotional health. Thank you so much and God and goddess bless to everyone.